Ben, this has been a long time coming. Welcome on the Evolve Move Play podcast. Thank you for being so patient. I finally, I know. <laughs> ben, how long have we known each other? Um, hmm. I think we met in person when you came to the UK to do your first workshop for wild fitness. So I'm going to say 2015, 16. It was 16, 2016. 16, yeah. But I think I got in touch with you before then. I reached out, you know, online from afar before then. Yeah, yeah. We, I knew of you. I knew that you were doing similar work in the UK, um, you know, in the year leading up to that, I guess. But I feel like it was only, wasn't too long before I went there that we had started talking about you coming on as an online client. Um Yes. So it's great timing for me. I yeah. um it wasn't planned at all. Uh yeah, I was lucky enough that just as I said, yeah, can I can I learn from you online? He's like, yeah, I'm coming to London. And you gave me like a, a premium service of uh scouting <laughs> all the locations for me. Say, hey, you can do this in the program there. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a unique experience. We uh we never we never scaled up that business model of like uh we'll we'll write you a program and then fly <laughs> fly out and uh <laughs> And, uh, and scouting for your local trees. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you've been, you know, you, you keep a pretty low profile, but you've been around for a long time uh, doing this. And you're, you know, people may not know, but you're the only people that person right now that we have in Europe who is an approved Evolve Move Play coach. Um, so tell people a little bit about your background. I know you keep a, a low profile on social media these days, but you've been... Yes teaching for quite a long time now um mm. when did you get into the industry so 2011 is when i i guess first officially did my first class and got paid for it mm -hmm. um so gosh yeah it's getting on 12 12 almost 13 years now mm -hmm. um prior to that i was working in it i was kind of a desk jockey um trying to kind of find my way to reconnect to being a very physical person in my team, playing teens, playing lots of sports, um, you know, quite talented, but just didn't quite have the work ethic to make in any particular sport from basketball to track and field. Um, and then completely losing that output for my physical sort of expression when I stopped education and got a, and got a job, a real job, tried going to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. Um, realized that it wasn't quite for me to stop starting and through the process of trying to falling in love with moving again, um, I started things like parkour came up on the radar, natural movement and so on. And to cut a long story short, you know, taking up martial arts, trying parkour, I stumbled across a few workshops where they allowed me just to hang out. There's at this place called gloves boxing club. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, yeah, uh, uh, can I just learn as much as possible as an apprentice? And they said, yes. And crazily, I sort of quit my job and said, I'm as much as possible. Here I am. I was very blessed to, uh, for Kirsten to allow me to, at the time, just to say, yep, follow, change career. Just as I got a promotion from the security of IT to go and follow this crazy idea that it transformed my life so much, sort of exploring a movement practice that I thought, you know what, I'd love to be able to try my best to guide other people. And I jumped in. And that was about 2010. And in 2011, um, they kind of let me loose uh, the Gloves Club, mm. led by um, Lee Saxby and Tony Riddle. 
And I'm very, you know, grateful for them for just trusting me. They just gave me two classes a week, knew I was super green, um, knowing that I would be continuing to develop myself. I was currently going to any kind of movement workshop I could. And uh, yeah, here I am now. So you mentioned gloves uh, was run by Lee Saxby, who may, you know, may not pop right up for people right away, but Lee, um, I, I guess Lee was kind of uh, uh, a follower of um, Poe's method, if I remember correctly. And he kind of took that, that, that initiation went his own route into kind of deep rabbit hole on, on running efficiency. And then um, early popularizers, both Tony Riddle and Lee of back uh, barefoot running. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Were, so you were doing some barefoot running was that one of the things that you kind of got hooked into right away in 2010? Yeah, so so right at the time, yeah, you're correct that um, Lee was one of the most um, experienced and qualified pose uh, running coaches. Uh, pose is a method. Pose methods is a, you know from Dr. Romanov, but he um, make sure I do this justice. Essentially, all the biomechanical kind of knowledge and and, and the methodology. Um, he learned from Pose, what I guess Lee brought to it was a more simplified and elegant sort of uh, coaching cues. Um, so he kind of added his own stint to that, but it is based upon, for sure, Pose. And he's brought many of his own things to it. And yeah, so Gloves Club at the time was a boxing club. That was a movement space disguised as a boxing club, let's call it. Okay. Um, so everyone that went through there pretty much got exposed to varying degrees about, um, to, for example, minimal footwear or barefoot shoes, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Lee was kind of instrumental at the time, uh, when Viva Barefoot were just starting up, they were called Terra Nova at the time. Mm -hmm. And so he was like sampling shoes and had a lot of input and that's when he used to work for them. So it was all over the place, you know, the, the importance the primacy of uh, foot health, and um, barefoot running. And I guess a lot of people might know him from being the running coach that helped um, fix uh, Ted, Ted McDougall from Born to Run. That's um, kind of- oh, a, Okay, so the book he's, the, he's mentioned in Born to Run. Christmas yeah, Day. Born to Run was kind of like the spike in, uh, well, I guess barefoot yeah. running for a lot of people. The whole barefoot running revolution. And then uh, my understanding is that Lee would kind of be the primary architect also of the principles of efficiency and movement uh, that would be popularized by MoveNet. Um, is that correct? This is, yeah, this is my understanding. So Lee was not only in this sort of role for Viva Barefoot, um, he was also one of the advisors for uh, Wild Fitness, for example, as well. And so, and that's how I met Lee becoming, um, I went on his Wild Fitness Coaches course where he was teaching us all the principles and fundamentals mm -hmm. um, of a movement. And then I, at the very least, this heavily influenced um, a move that um, Owen and uh, Lee were friends, as far as I know, and this influenced a lot of the foundation. Yeah, I remember um, when I was involved with MoveNet, I remember Irwin's first meeting with Lee, him talking to me about that. So, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting little piece of the story. So, so Tony, Tony was a boxing coach at that time, Tony Riddle? Uh, so Lee and Tony, um, both opposed coaches, running coaches. I think they have a background in kind of like uh, old school Pilates, so Matt Pilates. 
um, or Contrology, whatever the name is. And yeah, they both studied boxing or used to box and they uh, were big fans. I think they like went to Cuba a couple of times. They loved like the Cuban style of boxing and sort of the rhythm element of it. And I was a big fan of a boxing coach who is no longer with us, Kenny Wilden, who I believe was Holyfield's sort of balance and uh, uh, technique um, advisor stroke coach so yeah they 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 taught boxing in a very interesting way it was um it was somewhere between an authentic boxing club and like a you know a boxing fit club where there's just to burn calories so they taught you really good fundamentals that i believe would cross over but it wasn't like you had to get in the ring and spar um so for me it was that combined with the influence of their running coaching and just how they just watching them every day do one-to-ones and so on. It gave me a really cool foundation for um, to really look at biomechanics first, um, you know, rather than the typical trainer at the time might be thinking about how can I make you stronger? How can I help you burn calories? Yeah. Um, so movement efficiency, um, you know, understanding the laws of natural laws of movement, et cetera, was kind of like very lucky. That was my first place I got to cut my teeth on. Yeah, that's quite a unique sort of spot to enter the 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 movement industry, particularly or the fitness industry, particularly at that point in time. Mm. So you said 2010, 2011, you're kind of sitting in a lot of movement workshops, right? This is kind of before movement as a named thing really takes off in general in the in the fitness community. What what kind of workshops were were coming in at that time? What were you getting hooked into? So I, so I think Frank Forensic was definitely one of the first sort of bridges from, should call it like the paleo primal, you know, you've been around long enough to, you know, that sort of buzzwords yeah. uh, uh, from fitness, it might have been say functional fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point primal and paleo came on the scene. And I think that's probably how I came across Frank Forensic. Okay. Um and here, you know, his outlook on, on you know, his shared influence of ours on, on um, well, many things, but particularly movement as well, probably pointed me in the direction of looking at a more archetypal way of moving, you know, with the, now we call it natural movement, um, primal movement at the time. And so I was looking for if he's doing anything over here. I think he only had the odd thing going on in the US. Mm-hmm. Um the same time uh people like daryl edwards who's known as a fitness explorer um he was the only person i could see that was doing like natural movement and movement influenced um kind of things um uh and that basically led me to this world fitness this world fitness coaches course where they had on their board of advisories you know lee frank um owan um and a few other people so that was around um one of my friends nathan um he told me about ido patel well before you know anyone knew who he was yeah um he came to brighton to do a workshop for example which i didn't attend mm-hmm. <laughs> it was super cheap i wish i went yeah. <laughs> but yeah so ido was around then um it was more sort of little bits and pieces of classes here and there um i went to uh move that workshop probably in about 2012 i think same time i went to edo uh an edo workshop did some online coaching with him um but yeah that was it was more just collecting bits here and there it was it was difficult to come across you know 
and during the process this is how i came across you for example you know i'm i'm you know back when you had your first website i'm you know i was trawling through everything you was writing and uh because yeah there wasn't especially people interacting with the trees for example there was no one else doing it i was like ah yeah 2013 is when emp sort of uh debuted in that space you know i i've been around for a while before that i you know um I had my experience with with MoveNet in 2000. Well, before it was MoveNet, right? Erwin and mm. I were were uh, were talking. Uh, you know, when he was talking about trying to uh, resurrect Method Nasrallah, mm. um, and then I think if I remember correctly, I was actually with him in Corsica filming the video, the workout the world forgot when he kind of. Uh, that was the first time he told me the new name. <clears throat> mm. So. Yeah, so when I came out in, in 2013, uh, yeah, the parkour background and taking the trees, that something I've been doing for a while at that point, um, three years. So you were teaching out of gloves, you were doing personals, and then at some point you got uh, got hired uh, to to teach for MoveNet. When did that happen? Yeah, that's a good question. This is where my age will be showing now. So I... So Josip Botts was a European instructor, I think, from about 2012. So I was learning from him for, okay. uh, for, for I got certified for him from MoveMap. I was also learning from him because he was also on Edo Patel's teaching team at the time. Mm. And so I think I took over from him in about 2014, but I might be wrong. Um, so, yeah, I started, I was their European certification instructor from about, yeah, a year and a half. And I think uh, my last one was 2016. So yeah, but 2014, 15, I might be wrong. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, that's funny. I just had Yosef on the podcast, actually. That just came out uh, uh, okay. yesterday. So first oh, time cool. I got the chance to, to have Yosef on. So that was fun. Um, one thing I, I remember hearing was that you're... You, you were kind of at the end of your your moon at tenor. You were bringing in uh, stuff from my work, stuff from Tom Wexler's work, stuff from Ito's work. People were really mm -hmm. enjoying those seminars. But uh, if I remember correctly, you kind of got in trouble for for um, straying too far off the script. Is that true? Um, true that I would bring in you know things that I think are useful, but not didn't get in trouble. No, okay. Because I don't think uh, I don't think they were aware to be honest. But yeah, there's still <laughs> things today to this day where I've passed on to to you know the people that have taken on from me and the cool people and i see that oh it's nice to see that that's remains because that wasn't in the manual um whether it just be a simple partner game for example so um tell me about you know how encountering emp initially you know the the work we did together how did that shift your perspective and also i guess um maybe there's a separate question but when did you find the trees at hampstead and start teaching predominantly there that's a good question because it's so the big milestone was that the gloves club gloves boxing club where i was you know doing one-to-ones and classes that closed down basically in 2014 um so it forced a shift a major shift in you know, number one i had to start thinking on my own right i couldn't just wait at a place expect people to come in and see if i'm the right fit uh, I had to get my website sorted. I had to decide, okay, what am I about now? You know, so the initial panic of like, what am I going to do? 
And, and that basically took me to, right, I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue doing the classes I was doing outside. Um, so I'd already be taking classes here and there as more of a sort of novel um, alternative, you know, for, you know, in the summer, I'd say, hey, let's go to a local park or for my own practice, I'll be um, using the trees, whatnot. Um, but, you know, I'm going to say as cheeky as it might sound, I had a kind of a move that lens, which mm -hmm. is you go around looking for the right place to do a specific technique. Mm -hmm. um, and that'd be it. So I guess being forced to use the environment on you know regular basis, um, I, it, it sort of yeah deepened and opened up my you know my creative outlook on it. You know, I started experimenting more um, out of necessity. Let's use this tree. Let's actually climb the tree. Let's 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 do more than just you know just just a, a supplementary piece of work. Um, so that led me, I guess, at some points as small influence of me you know, i've got a little bit of parkour background i'm using you know the trees for parkour thing is anyone else doing this and i think i came that's when i think i know i came across uh, your first tree runner video oh, okay um but i'd already come across your website prior to that so as i made the connection at some point uh that, that oh okay it's just, ah ah it's the same because i was just sort of involved with play and i thought this is very useful there's one of those typical people that's just kind of like look look absorb and then not really say much and then i made the connection i think that's when i reached out to you sorry what's the what's the other question i don't know if i've answered your question all uh, right so that so well i think it leads into it well it's kind of interesting so i'll just replay what i heard from you so you were so, if I remember correctly, this is 2014, you're saying that this is kind of uh, your gloves shuts down. So you're yes. no longer able to teach in there. And you're sounds like you're kind of teaching a meld of things, maybe already influenced. You've got some Frank Ferencic influence at that point. You've yeah. uh, got some Ida Portal influence. You're doing the MoveNat stuff. You're doing the stuff that you learned from Lee and, and, uh, and all that. And kind of, you know, a pretty progressive movement curriculum that you're teaching indoors at that point. And you started to 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 go out as a field trip for your students, but then when gloves mm -hmm. shut down, you didn't have a, a place to go. So you you started going to to um, to Hampstead Heath, and um, and you you were <laughs> you were sort of looking at the trees as a means to facilitate specific skills that you'd been taught within the MoveNet curriculum. Mm. Uh, it reminded me of. You know, the other first sort of, uh, you were the third online student that I worked with. The first was uh, Adam Durst from Adelaide, Australia. And then the, the second was Rutger van der Zee from the Netherlands. Rutger was another uh, MoveNet yeah. teacher. And uh, he always joked about looking for a MoveNet branch. Um, mm. You know, just a, a single straight branch that was like a bar that you could practice, yes. like climb-ups on. And um mm you know, elbow pop-ups and the kind of like move that um, menu of skills and yes. that encounter my work. And, you know, you got a, a deeper appreciation for the trees. So that always makes me laugh to remember that, that time. Uh, I think, I think Ruger and, and you and I got to have a good laugh about that walking through and uh, <laughs> spotting, <laughs> spotting branches of different kinds in, in, uh, in your local park there. But um, so, yeah, so you, you're telling me that and then you were looking in some sense you were starting to already the trees were sort of already calling something out of you it sounds like yes and you were sure. looking for more ways to lean into that and that's when you found tree runner my uh my big first sort of 
tree running video. So, yes. so when you when you saw that video and you saw parkour expressed in that environment, um, how did that shift the way that you went back to the oaks? Was it the oaks already that you were primarily training in there in in Hampstead? It, I found this quite late. Thank you for thank you. For that. It was very well paraphrased. Um, yeah. So it was it, spending time outside. You know, where the seasons change forces you to kind of be a bit more adaptable with how you see your environment. Mm-hmm. So it was a case of the more we'd scout and look at different areas, you'd meet these different trees. And um, I think you used the phrase, you know, they start to speak to me. It, it, as cheesy as it sounds, you do start to form a bond with trees. You know, a different sort of dialogue starts to come about. So it's through kind of reaching, I guess, the ceiling, you know, the, you know, feeling this sort of limitation of my creativity. It's like, what else can I do with this? That probably led to me looking further. And then, yes, as soon as I saw you doing it, kind of gave me that confirmation. It's like, ah, not only am I seeing parkour moves but moves that are unique that you know could only come about whether you want to call it a hybrid through interactions with trees i feel that's what really um made me go and look deeper you know uh, it made me just seeing some of the structures in the tree runner video of the uh, uh, you know the beautiful trees at volunteer park um sort of brought it up on my radar if that makes sense uh you know if you if you're looking to buy a blue car you start seeing blue cars so mm-hmm. as i started scouting the heath more i started looking for more opportunities where oh where rape did that cool kind of cash vault thingy um so it just really helped me fine-tune uh, uh my vision a bit more just you know and so look see trying to decode go out kind of find something similar maybe yes maybe no but i find something you know something else so it really was yeah a resource of inspiration in regards to trying to imitate uh and uh doing okay to imitating and also coming across you know happy mistakes and it really made me scout more you know when we first when we started formally working together we started um that's one of the first most important things you know um to scout you know the environment is just as important as your own you know it's integral isn't it yeah yeah i feel like there was a you know in, in our later programs we definitely wrote in like whole scouting manuals i don't remember if i if i had that in your program um but I, but I remember like pointing you like, Hey, you've got to go find this. I remember in particular, yeah. um, I was really obsessed with English laurels when, yes. uh, when I came to to London in 2016 and we were around the Heath and I had seen them in, in one of the other parks that, um, uh, Paul Ranson had showed me. So I knew that they were yes. around and yes. I was like, Oh, you got to go find the, the laurel spot in Hampstead. Yes. I think I told you that in 2016. Yes. Um, and uh, and sure enough, you did. It's a great spot. Um, I'll i give credit to Paul. Paul found uh, that Paul one. Paul found that. Nice. I'm just going to turn this light on. Bear with me. Yeah. There you go. So you can have that beautiful glow around me. Yeah. Um. Paul. Paul found that. Um. The laurels you speak of in Hampstead Heath. Um. But uh, yeah, going back to what you said, it's you might not have had the uh, uh, the manual as it were, but you you know one I got personal experience of how you scouts just walking around with you. Uh, yeah. the other, you know the, for the two workshops that to me is better than uh, i'm sure the manual's fantastic but that was <laughs> better than any manual right because yeah. here we were as myself paul and a few other wild fitness coaches um all like sort of like trying to like hey come look at our tree we found trying to impress you with the trees we've mm-hmm. got and then you'd see some of them maybe they thought it was cool maybe you really like them but sometimes you just go completely ignore what we're showing you and go look at this guys and we hadn't seen it Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was super powerful for me, just realizing that, you know, 
people with experience, but everyone has this unique, uh, uh, you know, play vision to be able to see space. And once you are able to tap into it, yeah, you can just kind of uh, 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 hop onto that. And you start, I started seeing, um, for example, more limb climbs uh, because of yourself, but also because of Ben Atkinson, for example, just not, wasn't looking for them. And then when you see somebody else looking for them, uh, yeah, it's lovely when it just starts popping up all over the place, you know, places you're walking past all the time. Yeah, I, I have this like sense of of imagining into what that experience was like of of how rich, you know, of like how exciting, you know, kind of a falling in love experience of seeing the potential for movement in the trees that way, uh, mm. you know, uh, for the first time, it's like. You know, for us, it's we've been around that for a long time. We've been through many iterations of seeing people use them in different ways and find whether it works for us or doesn't work for us. But that initial like, wait, this is this is something we can do phase was super super fun and it's easy to kind of forget it in a way. And uh, you know, I th and this is when you are there to witness somebody else going through that. It just reignites the love again. It's it's wonderful to see somebody else's face light up. And it just and it just gives yeah you know yeah reinvigorated kind of interest and or they'll or they'll share something with you they'll see the space that you've been doing this oh, I'm going to show you how to do the, you know this route that pattern you can do this with that and they'll do something completely different and that learning experience becomes reciprocal that's also awesome as well. So then you you uh, so we we had been digging into the trees and that's going to be obviously a big theme of your work going forward but. Uh, the other thing that I was doing, you know, that was pretty unique at the time was the rough and tumble play aspect of what I was mm. doing. Yes. So I, if I remember correctly, I did do that with you, with the, um, the wild fitness crew. So you saw that. I don't think that was, that wasn't something I was writing into the online programs. You know, the online program was, was kind of like a parkour skill in nature program, yep. uh, mm -hmm. with gymnastic strength and strength conditioning and, 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 uh, sprint work. All right, so I remember yeah. we were getting you back some of your track and field days. You did um, some flow work as well. You did some body integrity for sure, yes. Yeah. And you, uh, there was some flow work as well, like you know, some floor. Yeah, at that stage, I was like way, way too deep with the uh, the FRC stuff. The 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 level of functional range conditioning <laughs> drills I had all my 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 uh, uh, at that stage was, and. Uh, not knocking FRC, but you know, when it, yeah, it was nothing quite like that at the time. So we all just essentially experimented on ourselves and each other yeah. <laughs> and other people. <laughs> the volume, the volume of FRC that I put in some of those initial programs was really, uh, was really absurd. It was extremely time consuming. Um, there's some great, there's some great stuff with FRC, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write uh, a sort of total body um, FRC component into a program uh today mm. unless yeah. you know uh but i i i yes i agree but i i think it's still useful i'm glad that i got that much volume because would i've explored by myself maybe not yeah. um but it just go off on a tangent for a second is you know when you used modalities were more present in your practice or you know things in your tool bag and perhaps you don't use them as much anymore and they're still in your tool bag but you decide to take them out for a new client or somebody yeah. to problem solve and then you reappreciate that thing again and uh so it's, yeah it's all it's all fantastic experience and um yeah i definitely go to i do take some tools out of the frc tool bag uh, now and then yeah um, yeah i mean uh, definitely there's uh just 
I wouldn't say I use anything really specifically from FRC now, but there's a kind of sensitivity to being aware of the tensions in the body when I'm doing mobility work. And, Mm-hmm. you know, like um, recently I, I had a little back pain episode. And so I'm really working on opening up my hips so that my hips can kind of support my back better, right? So I'm doing some Yes. some bear, uh, what do they call them? Bear transfers are like, you know, 90 to 90 knee transfers where you're in one 90 to Yes. 90 position and you swing your legs over to the other 90 to 90 position. Um, Yes. and, and, you know, while I was there, I just sort of leaned to the side and worked on active internal rotation Mm. of the hip so that I Yes. made enough space so that I could actually lift my foot off the ground using internal hip rotation. And that's something Yes. that I wouldn't have known to do really without uh, having encountered FRC. And Exactly. it feels nice in my body. And so it's nice to have that kind of motor control, that kind of awareness of those, uh, Mm. of the different, different needs of joints that came through that awareness. Um, so, Agreed. but to go back to the question, uh, how did you incorporate, uh, or did you start to incorporate the rough housing right away into your training, into your work with clients? And also, um, had you already encountered some of those ideas through Frank Forensic and how did those things interact? And then, um, when did like Tom and, uh, Tom Wexler and Josef Frusik and fighting monkey sort of come into that mix? Um, so yes, I was already doing some partner games. Um, so I think Frank through, I forget their names now, the wild fitness coach, I apologize, forgotten your name, who had worked with Frank quite a bit. So I, I picked up a few, you know, of uh, Frank's, you know, call games from him. And then I immediately adopted, you know, adopted them, was trying them in my classes, um, back in 2011, Um, Daryl Edwards, again, he had a nice variety of partner games and so on, which I was kind of collecting and curating as well. Um, and I guess Ido, Ido Patel as well, when I first went to his first workshop, whenever that was, um, 2012, 13, um, he has a, you know, some partner games as well. So it was great when you came to London though, that was the first time, I guess, um, that, there was that much depth and uh rather than just kind of like a novel hey let's play you know frank frank was kind of talking about it but they just added more depth more nuance more principle based i think and it just again it was confirmation to feel like yes um i feel there's something here to keep on exploring so like yeah just compounded like this is important um because you know back then it's still quite strange outside of i don't know dance and contact improv or martial arts you know to do Mm. anything Uh, touch bases, you know, maybe it's got a bit better now, but it was definitely strange back then. So you kind of need to, to see, you know, peers and, and and people you're inspired by, you know, leading the way. That's interesting. I was, I wrote a little article about kind of the origins of, of the roughhousing curriculum within EMP because we're, we're putting out uh, a new roughhousing course. And I was thinking about how it kind of bubbled up in, in a variety of different ways in, in the movement community, right? Like for me, it came from my own childhood experience of, of rough and tumble play and how that really helped me overcome difficulties. And then I went on to like do that in mentorship with the younger kids combined with like this extensive martial arts background and the this question of 
of parkour being play-based and how that was so intriguing to the type of students we were working with and could martial arts be approached in a play-based way. So it's interesting because I, I came into it with a, like when I really first started that exploration, it was really from a martial artist perspective mm. and then yeah. applying play research to it. And I, I did use some of, um, some of Frank's games that yeah. were kind of like the, the, the seeds for me that I was working with. In addition to, you know, this really extensive Muay Thai and BJJ, um, MMA background, Capoeira. Yes. And then I think I was talking to Aaron Cantor about his experience with, with kind of getting into this interactive space. And it's so, so different because he came from yoga, right? And mm. he basically had gone through this intense experience of meditation and yoga and realized that wasn't really helping him in like his social and interpersonal experiences. And he was like, what would an asana of, of physical interaction be? And that's where mm. his sort of starting point was in, in yes. development. And then um, Frank actually had a very extensive martial arts background as mm. well, which I think kind of gets forgotten. And then I think, I, you know, Ido obviously ha was was extracting a lot from, you know, having been a couple other coach for years as well as studying yeah. Russian martial arts and, um, and boxing. And I think I would probably fit into that category um, in, in that the, the thing that sparked me to leave my job or to explore movement was martial arts again, you know, mm -hmm. having dabbled as a child, but starting martial, restarting martial arts as, a, as an adult. So that was my comfort zone. And uh, so Frank's games, uh, yeah, I think they come through his kind of a martial uh, uh, um, influence in some of the, how the games are formed, you know, distance management or how to manage partner resistance, um, mm -hmm. an element of sparring and, and uh, even has, you know, his dojo etiquette and rules. Um, and it wasn't until, to answer your question, that um, I met Tom and, and Joseph and Linda, so Tom Wexler and Joseph and Linda from Fighting Monkey, that... Um, yeah, open up my world to more partner interactions or more on the continuum of dance and contact improv, this kind of place that was initially quite scary for me, felt yeah. quite vulnerable to explore up until that point. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think what I did was that I, I feel like I scaffolded that basic interactive play to a, um, to like being able to work up to like full martial arts sparring yeah um in a way that i don't i haven't really seen anyone else kind of systematize it to the same degree of how each game actually builds on the constraints of previous games in order to move us towards being able to play specifically with freedom in the in the martial arts um so i think that was the the unique offer that emp had so yes. you were able to take that and 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 apply it with your your students right away. Then, how did yes. that how, how did that land with the the student body that you were working with in 2014, 20, I guess 2015, 2016? I think I think it's it's, it's probably one of the most enjoyed elements of what I offer. I feel you know um, the space to bring people to the you know special place like Hampstead Heath. Um, but the, the interactions between people, I think is what I'm very lucky to be a part of. So it's like in my mind, uh, I think we're similar in that wouldn't it be great if we could get people at the end of this process, however long we might have, whether it's that one session or over a few sessions 
comfortable with wrestling. And that's, um, but we kind of know that if we just say, hey, let's wrestle straight away, that there's going to maybe be some challenges. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm very lucky in that I was, I had the system and the framework also with the empathy to, to, I guess, to be able to read people, to be able to get them further along or further out their comfort zone or expanded their comfort zone. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it's a combination of things, but you were definitely the first person to sort of give a path to, to um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we, I've seen some crazy things and uh, in, in, in where the participants were at in you know, workshops and where they're ending up basically kicks kickboxing sparring for example <laughs> and that's cool that's quite something right you know yeah it was cool where every you know every, at the beginning they were all a little bit awkward to shake hands and hug let alone to you know hey yeah. you're kicking and punching each other with control and, and you know with consent and um you know looking after each other so um yeah outside of martial arts is kind of a bit blinkered i don't think my sessions would be the same without that approach that you are sharing in regards to being com feeling confident enough that um, rather than just avoiding it and thinking, oh, that no, people are going to be put off. It gave me the confidence to, to, to keep on researching, to keep on finding ways to uh, gain people's trust, to build a rapport between one another um, mm -hmm. and sound principles as to, you know, uh, a game that might be uh, uh, quite distant at first uh, from, from real fighting, but it has all the elements there. Mm, yeah. Um, so it's interesting. You mentioned Tom and Yosef and Linda. So yes. for me, it was, um, it was Shira Yaziv and, uh, and Tom. And then I can't actually, I remember, um, so I, I went and trained with Ido in 2011. And <clears throat> I don't think we actually did any of the Capoeira ground flow stuff in particular. Mm -hmm. But I was watching his videos. So I, I picked up on that material and got really curious about it. And so I went and when I left Parkour Visions and really decided to devote myself to this movement project of all move play, I started taking both at some point, I think actually before I left Parkour Visions, I was taking contemporary dance. And so I did like six months of contemporary dance and then six months of Capoeira. And at some point within that, uh, I went down and taught when I taught actually, so the very first or the second workshop I ever taught for EMP in 2013 was uh, in collaboration with the Athletic Playground in San Francisco, which is Shira Yaziv's gym. And uh, Shira is another one of these figures who uh, has had a massive influence and, you know, was an incredible innovator in the movement field who nobody knows about. Um, mm. But she was uh, Ida Portal's partner in the Haifa Capoeira gym before she moved to San Francisco and started her own thing. And she created a mixed movement modality, parkour, circus arts, um, dance facility in, uh, in the Berkeley. And so she, so I did, uh, I gave her a ticket to the event and I returned for a private and she showed me a bunch of games from Capoeira. So she was teaching, theoretically, she was teaching me Capoeira, but she was teaching me Capoeira from her own games-based perspective. Mm. And then, uh, can't remember when but i got the chance to go spend some time with shira and and do contact improv with her yeah. and then around the same time i got to learn from tom and his sort of approach to partnering games that was mostly i think <laughs> i have to ask tom but i think i think that you know the the, the original genesis for a lot of his stuff came out of uh out of 
contact. Um, but he also has, of course, a, an extensive Capoeira background and uh, yeah. has really been deep in the BJJ, though. Um, yeah. It's funny, like, I know Tom practices BJJ a lot, but I don't see it too much in the way that he, in what he offers and teaches. It, um, the last time, I, uh, no, not the last time, but on his bows and arrows intensive, um, it was quite prevalent there. Was it? Um, okay, cool. That's where I met Aaron, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah and, and also on some workshops as well, you know, especially in hindsight, now that I've start, started grappling quite regularly now, um, I can start to look back on some of Tom's uh, ideas, uh, games, and I can say, ah, I can see he was really inspired by, you know, there was a time where I guess he was going through a lot of um, inversion. Mm -hmm. uh, so for BJJ, you know, there's different ways you can roll onto your back and retain guard and so on. And um, yeah, they were, they, I, I didn't recognize them at the time, I guess, um, but I recognize them now. They were definitely uh, giving us partner games and he was doing very interesting things sort of blending sort of his soft acrobatics with uh, sort of partner games that are based on jujitsu drills. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I spent some more time with Tom. So uh, yeah, I'm really curious about the impact of 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 both tom's work and fighting monkey because like watching your social profile from afar right after mm -hmm. you sort of were kind of had come out here and experienced return to the source and you know mm -hmm. done a year of, of coaching with me um there was a way in which like your your stuff started to look like emp like cross-pollinated with with fighting monkey and um mm -hmm. and and movement archery and then of course there was the unique things that you were bringing especially in the, the dancing with the trees which we'll get to in a second but can you tell me a little bit about how um how the 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 encounter with tom and and uh, uh joseph and linda sort of how that catalyzed your work wow where, where to begin so i mean i don't like to i hope this doesn't make you feel uncomfortable but yourself tom and joseph and linda like you know many others as well i don't want you know but really important paradigm shifts but for me there's that beautiful balance of like your own unique approaches but you have so much in common mm -hmm. um i i think one of my luxuries is that because i'm not i don't belong to any one specific school um you know i don't have bring any sort of dogmatic uh, uh baggage um, it really puts me in a position to see you guys are talking about the same thing in your own unique way and your own unique voice. Um, and it just, yeah, really helps me put things together. So Tom, initially, um, it was my first sort of step into, I'm going to explore some, I don't know, I wouldn't know what to expect. It was his first ever workshop, but it looks like maybe some contemporary dance and some floor work and mm -hmm. some areas that I feel, I know I'm going to feel uncomfortable. Um, I'd always wanted to try, say, to go to a contemporary dance class, but for whatever reason, I hadn't. Um, but what I found there was much more because he'd also, you know, his approach, the language he was using, um, his sharing and articulating his, his process on creativity, you know, um, just some of his early analogies that still stick with me today about how um, how when he's dancing alone um, is about his imagination or when he's interacting with a partner is more about the reality um definitely has been a huge influence on me do my best to conceptualize all these different you know influences of interacting with your inner and outer landscape you know your your inner space your near space your far space you know body people and place um but he's 
primarily been fuel for me to, I guess, for want of a better way to put it, be confident, explore myself as an artist. Sounds ugh, as it comes out of my mouth, because remember, I'm English as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, as we get to that, you know, Dance with the Trees, Tom is definitely huge, huge, uh, you know, so along with yourself. I, I joke sometimes that how I interact with the trees is a result. Of, I'm a love, I'm the love child of you and Tom. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's that's that, that, that's uh, the, the easy way to sum it up um yeah i could go on more uh, about tom and how how inspiration has been to, to well, not yeah, just my own i'm curious about it like since that since it's mostly tom and then my work where the the dance comes into to your work i think that's mm. that's something i really wanted to dig into is how you've yes. approached and and really kind of honed in on actually dancing with trees as a practice so I, I can't remember the timeline exactly because I feel like there was a, it was so, it feels to me like I shared the the tree running with you and the flow with you. And then in some sense, we both encountered Tom you, and other people and other mm -hmm. dance experiences independently and both yes. ended up kind of starting to explore dancing with the trees. Um, yes. Because I remember, I think... I guess it was 2016, 2017, when I was really taking the contemporary dance um, that I had learned and the stuff that I'd learned from uh, Ido and Tom and and uh, Shira and um, and uh, maybe Yosef and Linda. And I was going to Volunteer Park and I was very intentionally practicing dance. At that time, um, one of the one of the best trees there was dying, and I had this desire to. Mm choreograph a, a remembrance of it yes um and so i was working on you know various ways to uh to sort of handspring and fall back and do raises over the trees and kick and spin and pirouette on top of the tree and then mm. how to connect that to all the ground movement stuff and i feel like if I remember correctly, it was, it was sort of just happening at the same time for you, where you were taking a lot of Tom's stuff and bring it into the way you were interacting with those trees. How, what is your memory of the kind of the, the genesis of the tree dancing movement? Cause it's, it's, mm. it's not really a movement. It's kind of just us, <laughs> but yeah. maybe one day it'll be. Yeah. It's, and it's not that, yeah, of course it's not like a clear, clear moment um how you described it i think is pretty much how i remember it it was and it's also the influence it's also my tendencies as well you know if to simplify we can say when i'm looking at the structure of a tree and opportunities and uh, um uh in a sort of parkour lens you know um this jump that swing um you know it feels quite young for me at times you know mm -hmm. um i enjoy it um but may, as I'm getting older, I'm probably not as drawn to it. Um, mainly I'm trying to be sensible, I think, because yeah. I often bite off more than I can chew. So, you know, I, I, I haven't done maybe as much prep as I think I should have done to make sure I'm resilient to start looking at these big jumps. But I think I can do it. And so I try to, you know, hold myself back a little bit. And I think um, something about how I started to connect with the trees um, even if I were going to do a big yang sort of jumping session, a big parkour session in the trees, 
I'd still want to kind of check the tree out. And part of that was be, it was almost like somewhere between massaging myself with the tree, um, uh, giving the tree some, some love, some sort of contact improv, leaning on it, um, checking the limbs as I'm doing it, just tuning in to that particular tree. Cause I feel for me, you know, I've got quite um, a low threshold for fear. So what I, whatever I do do comes out familiarity. Um, and that naturally started leading me to like, you know, what happens if I slide on this? What happens if I lean back on this tree, like as a partner? And it started to make it a natural links to uh, a lot of, um, Tom's framework and how to, um, he calls it natures of partnering. Um, but also how he used to give you enough of a template and structure to explore solo improvisation without feeling lost um so i would try some things directly or at least use his you know his, his kind of um process as much as i understood at the time um so yeah it, it would have been after probably like literally the first workshop that i would have gone back and and started to say a route that I was already doing where i might have done an underbar and and then some sort of a turn vault you know um maybe i'm thinking about flow in regards to smoothness is turning into speed what if i make it uh, less efficient uh, and take my time and more expressive um and these ideas i think were i think were planted by tom uh this i'm uh, taking time to be expressive with the root you know uh, and not not to say that a, a, a parkour line is not beautiful and expressive of course it is um but in my world you know it, it's it's taking a risk to to jump over vault over something and then drop your head and do a spine wave mm -hmm. you know it felt really uncomfortable but you know that this is this is um, i have tom to thanks to be feeling confident enough to at least explore it for a little you know deeper yeah i i i had a uh background in gymnastics that was uh gymnastics and martial arts were what i had kind of the deepest backgrounds coming into parkour 23 and one thing that we used to do in the gymnastics class I took was um, we do pirouettes. Uh, so no, we yeah we do pirouettes, but we do um, chassés and chassé full twists. Yes. And then we do cartwheel, chassé full twist, cartwheel, chassé full twist. And uh, so chassé for folks who don't know is kind of galloping sideways, right? So your feet don't get in front of each other; they come together, come apart, come together, come apart. And um, for some reason, there was a way in which the skill of a cartwheel connected to the skill of the chasse full twist that was really satisfying to me it just feels good in the body i don't know why um and i remember being at uh at volunteer park and sort of like adding a cartwheel chasse full twist or just like a pirouette before a line and it mm. felt so um yeah i was like oh i don't know like people might judge me for this i'm not doing yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> like doing this very yeah, yeah. very ballet stuff in the middle of my hardcore parkour lines um yes so it is no, a, I a, to that. an interesting risk to take in a way to play yeah. with those things and uh there's funny ways in which like specific acrobatics kind of um are approved at a given time like i remember there was a, a period of time where like grabs were looked up down on a lot in um like playing with different air forms and like grabbing in different ways was really looked mm. down on in parkour in the free running world. Um, probably because we were, we were trying to separate ourselves from uh, freestyle walking, which had like, <laughs> you know, picked up all the grabs from, from skateboarding and was doing it without yeah. a skateboard and just looked silly. 
but now there's a whole sort of school of parkour where it's all these off-axis flips mm. with interesting airform, right? Like the whole idea is kind of creating this creative expression of how you how you move in the air. So it's interesting to see how that, you know, that that taboo in some sense was hiding the potential for a really interesting area of exploration. Definitely. And it's, I find it interesting that I think, hence I had to come up with almost compartmentalizers, like I'm tree dancing now, right. <laughs> to probably give myself that space, that safe space to, to mm -hmm. explore. Uh, no, I think it is important, isn't the language you use to, to, to justify um, because uh, so what are you doing? Parkour is like that's not parkour. You know, <laughs> no, you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did um, there's something you uh, mentioned about? No, I'll come back to me. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about how you like what kind of heuristics was your was your experience of dance sort of just feeling into it and using movements and kind of attitudes that you had acquired through Tom or did you like have a a more structured way of thinking about how you're putting lines together putting you know uh phrases I suppose would be the the the, the language that a dancer would use like instead of a line like a parkour athlete mm -hmm. would do you have like a movement phrase that you're using the tree to to partner with or an improv um yes how did you have any kind of formal structure behind the way that you're approaching that i'm it's turned out that way you know through through, through experimenting essentially um but very much initially from things i would have collected from tom for example mm -hmm. and other and other dancers as well you know uh, um, you know so tom's the first person to get, that i went deeper with and then um as you kind of make more friends in the dance community um just sharing, you know, they, that some uh, a friend of mine will call it, like I say, a script or a theme that you play with, um, you know, and uh, whatever phrases come out from that idea. So I think, but yeah, initially seeing, because Tom, from my perception, Tom's first few workshops were kind of um, aimed at uh, uh, people in the movement community rather than dancers. Yeah. So I think from him having to solve... Uh, the challenge, let's call it, of us not being trained dancers or experienced dancers, at least most of us, yeah. there were some, uh, how he got people comfortable and free enough, um, enough, that, again, that balance of structure uh, and frameworks, so you don't feel lost, but enough room to, to have your own individuality. Those were the like key ideas, you know, how you would give people like three simple sort of ideas. Maybe it was, I want you to go down to the ground, find a position of rest, stand up, and at some point throw something and let that lead into going down to the ground again. So it's like these these little uh, structures of, and you, you can you can build many things from that. And I would kind of borrow that and modify it to, to how one might interact with the tree, um, or I might take one idea uh, and and really kind of use my 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 regular group as a as a research group, suggest it, see how it goes. Sometimes there'll be a hit, sometimes it'll be a miss. Some would just need more. Um, and then start to form, to answer your question, sort of names, like code names you know, uh, to the, my regular participants. So, for example, um, we might explore sort of a general movement coaching kind of a, a principle, you know, your points of support. I want you to start off and um, explore any point of support, leaning into the tree. So it's kind of a pushing 
interaction between you two. You know, what happens if you lean with your shoulder? How close are your feet? What's the angle that you lean in? Now let's lean away from the tree and sort of pulling points of support and just allow people to, to use that idea and explore by themselves. Then I might give something more explicit, for example, and say, now we need to be suspended like a, like a gibbon um, and see how, you know, one point of support above and one point of support below and one leg how can you use the spare leg to play with different interactions? So we start to build our own vocabulary, as it were, and I might call that Tango Gibbon. Um, <laughs> so these, these kind of individual um, phrase makers, one of a better word, or, or, or um, catalysts uh, for improv um, with just enough sort of structure, would then start embedding, I would then start embedding those into lines. So yeah. standard lines within the tree that, you know, you, I want to go over this. Under that, through this, I might start saying, I need to start here, do a little bit of tango gibbon, go through here, points of support, and, and so on. So it, it's definitely Tom, uh, you know, gave him the foundation to be brave enough to start exploring that, I think. Yeah. And um, collected, I'm sure, many other influences. But yeah, the, 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 the um, points of support and like hanging versus that uh that reminds me very much of sort of a contact improv where you're exploring the relationships that you can have with uh with a human partner exactly um, yeah i i picked up a few frames i think the first way that i thought about it was actually really simple i just thought about like the idea that um generally in parkour we don't actually want to be inverted or rotating uh if we're trying to be efficient mm -hmm. but we want to have the capacity to invert and to rotate if necessary or to respond well to inversion and rotation. So I would think about just putting together lines that explored as much inversion and rotation as possible. Mm. And then yes. I remember uh, there was this idea that I got from contact improv of touching something at the level of like the skin, mm. the muscle and the bone. And I was, I kind of took that to the tree. Like, how do I mm. kind of brush past the tree and use that? How do I, you know, move with the tree? But then how do I like lay myself all the way and like let the, the, the tree support my weight completely? Um, and then the last idea I picked up was this idea of, well, well, to go back at some point, I figured out that someone said to me that the dance is just a series of weight transfers. And then that the weight transfers and Tom said this, you can, you can do your weight transfers with the beat or over the top of the beat. Mm -hmm. And so to start to explore that in relationship to music as it's happening. And then each, each movement can be um, direct or indirect and light or heavy. And then you could kind of find moderate in, in between that. But, but what would it be like to sort of, move into a certain level of contact with the tree lightly and indirectly versus heavy right and then mm. what kind of emotion could you express and elicit and feel as you're uh exploring those those frames so those were kind of the core ideas that i was um i was playing with at the time uh that i was really playing with the tree dancing which is something i haven't done a lot in a while which i'd love to get back to but um yeah, yeah. It'd be lovely to see you finish the um that dance for the tree because yeah. i've, I've seen, almost gone i've know? seen bits of it haven't i yeah you, you yeah. showed me some of it you showed me a work in progress and it was lovely i think yeah yeah i did i did pieces of it unfortunately some of the key uh 
elements of the choreography I wanted to do are no longer possible. The tree has lost the limb that that uh, that I wanted to use. Um, but uh, yeah, I have I've, I've had an idea that at some point we should uh, should have you out here and and construct a tree dancing course. So folks are listening to this and they want that drop a drop a comment and say uh, give us the tree dancer course. Um, <laughs> I'd love to. When uh, so the other area that you were exploring around the same time was going deeper into tree climbing. I remember uh, when did you debut Tree Climb Thirty? Um. Oh gosh, I want to say two thousand sixteen. Oh, was it that maybe. early? Okay, twenty sixteen. Definitely was by twenty seventeen. Maybe seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe seventeen. Maybe seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. So it was after you came out. Because you came out 2016 to Return of the Source. And was it after that? Yeah. I think so, yeah. 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 And then you met um, the the guy, the the Tree Climber's Guide guy around mm. that time, I believe. What was his name? Uh, Jack Cook. Jack Cook. Yeah. So you, were, you were doing that. Um, and, yeah, there was a real exploration of, of climbing trees. I remember um, the second time I came to teach, I think – if I remember correctly, I, I I kind of introduced you to bridging and and clinging locomotion, where we were able to find that one spot. Tell me if I'm if I'm misremembering that, but I I thought that I had introduced you to the the idea of like clinging and bridging locomotion, where getting up high in the trees and even swaying them back and forth to to make uh, transfers there um, in this little patch of of uh, of uh, brush, basically in between. Mm -hmm. um, parliament hill and um some of the big yes. oak trees that's right yeah yeah just clinging and bridging in general like um yeah, yeah you're the five forms of boreal locomotion yeah mm -hmm. five forms of boreal locomotion so uh which so that was something that i i guess i i guess i discovered that right around when i first started teaching this stuff oh i'm i remember that story i i was I was trying to understand, you know, what what I was doing in the trees, and I was reading uh, primate locomotion literature, and I came across mm. this idea that that uh, the primates move quadrupedally when they're small and light. They predominantly sort of scamper down branches, basically like squirrels, um, and then that as they grow in size, they can, um, uh, well, well, actually, as they grow athletically, then you'll see. Uh, this ability to leap from branch to uh, from trunk to trunk, which is really important for like uh, bush babies and shifox. Uh, so there was clinging and leaping, and then uh, like something like a slow loris or a orangutan is is using a lot of uh, bridging, where they're they're leaning their weight from one thing to another while staying connected before transferring. Mm. So I saw a connection with that, and then uh, and then as we gained sort of verticality, we started hanging, suspending ourselves from our from our hands, we could use our hands and feet at the same time to grip things, and that's called uh, quadrumanus movement in the in the literature. And then, uh, and then eventually we learned to brachiate, so yeah. swing from the hands without the feet, and to uh, then walk and run down the branches. And so these were the, mm -hmm. the areas that we were exploring. Um, so I remember finding that spot to do the the, the cleaning and bridging stuff in um, in in that. So 
I guess there's two directions that I'm curious to go around. One is kind of your deep exploration of tree climbing in, in those years, how that's sort of shifted over the years. And the other is um, like the clinging and bridging thing that we were doing, you know, in 2017 is, you know, very, um, <laughs> very remedial compared to what's happening with, uh, with Leo mm. Urban and uh, Victor Flight as Manuel and some of the students yeah. around them right now. Uh, yeah, and yeah. folks who've picked up their influence, like the the height of trees that they're going to and the way that they're bending them. Um, yeah, it's really it's extraordinary. Uh, and so I'm curious what what your reaction has been to seeing that. I, I feel like like for me, I kind of abandoned that line of research. Um, not it's not that I don't do it, but I haven't tried to push my edge in that way. Yeah. Since probably 2018. And then all of a sudden we're seeing Leo. 30 meters up in the tree swaying yeah blender beech trees 15 feet you know to catch yeah. another beech tree and pinching it with his toes what's what has it been like for you to kind of watch that that uh that explosion of 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 skill in that area i mean it's awesome it's awesome to i mean i don't know how you feel about so as you described, the fire forms of Aurora locomotion has been a fantastic like map for me, you know, uh, different lenses to sort of see the usual trees I might be walking past and think, hey, have I tried clinging bridging in this area and so on? Yeah. Um, but also amazing for other people. But I I don't know if you feel this. Sometimes I feel that clinging and bridging has been the one that's been the least explored. I feel I have mm -hmm. to make a, you know. Uh, an intentional effort sometimes uh, uh, out of the, the five. Does that make sense? So to see people really seeing where you can go with this is, is super inspiring. Um, for me, it's, you know, I'm not great with heights. I, you know, give me enough time with a tree. I'll take my time, but it's not something immediately calls to me to see how far I can flex uh, one tree to another. Um, probably as far as I get, though, um, how, what has inspired me to look at again, though, is tree to tree transfers, which is something, you know, uh, yeah, you inspired me a big time, you know, to be looking out for, oh, that's a really good one right there, you know, to see, is it possible? And then decide whether I'm going to do it. Um, but no, it, 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 it's, it's just great just to see, dare I say, you know, young athletes, because yeah. uh, we're, you know, we're getting on a bit now. Um, <laughs> seeing I know, where they I, can don't, take it. I don't like it. Um, I mean, I, I'm <laughs> fine with it. And at the same time, it's like, uh, there's a little bit of like, man, I blazed the path. I mean, Leo was there the whole time, right? Like Leo started. Yeah playing in the trees the same time that I did. So yes. I think I was, you know, a little bit ahead of him in conceptualization and maybe a few skills here and there at one point. And then, you know, now he's, he's doing things. I'm not sure I'll ever uh, consider approaching, you know, cause he's 10 yeah. years younger than me. Yeah. And it's, you um, know, he got to start I'll... when he was 11 and I got to start when I was 23. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started when I was, uh, yeah, 30, 31. 31. Uh, so, okay. so I know, but clinging and bridging, I would, I'm usually sticking ground level. Um, I, for me, it's really, it's, it's really nice to share that in particular with people because you get this all the time as well. And as do I, if you facilitate workshops, whatever in the trees, and you happen to take people to amazing, really accessible trees that you can really see the potential with, they go, I haven't got trees like this at home. But clinging and bridging is something where, um, you know, people can do a, a lot of places you know within dense woodlands or, or smaller trees you know you can do them between less epic trees let's say so it's really useful to help people just see the opportunities around them um 
and yeah, it's, it's, it, I love it. It's tough. You know, if I'm not in the mindset to be doing, say, more, more formal strength work or mobility work, um, I'm, I'm more inclined to go, you know, do clinging and bridging because it's, it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah, you know, when I see, that's why I see, you know, Victor and, and Leo, you know, doing this stuff. I just, just it's not, not just the heights they're going to, just the physicality of it. It's impressive. Their vertical yeah. climbing strength is impressive. Yeah, the, that's the other area of that is the the vertical climbing and the, and the barefoot vertical climbing. And uh, Matt yeah. Jang as well has been yes. really uh, amazing at that. I got to train with Matt this summer um, and, uh, you know, I took him to the spot where there's a really cool line where you could cat leap to a tree and dino into another tree and oh, then nice. climb up into the tree and uh, transition from tree to tree. Nice. And he saw a line from another tree that you could connect to that first group of trees and go the opposite way through them. Um, well, the opposite way through them is really fun too. So I was, I would, uh, that, that last tree that I transfer to, you can vertical climb pretty easily and then you can sway it and grab the other tree and then drop down through it and do a swing to cat, which is super fun. And then a cat back. Um, so uh, Matt though, saw a tree a little bit further away from this group that you could vertical climb and uh pole cat to the first tree or the the last tree in the sequence or the first tree in the sequence in my in my sequence and the speed at which he was able to wall run into a vertical tree climb into this cat was just absurd i'm like i've been thinking about my goals for next year and kind of what i what i want to accomplish as far as routes and like that one is like really yeah stuck in my head like i want to go mm. it just looks so fun but i like i got up there into the cat to cat the pole cat position yeah and it was just not i did not have the kind of comfort in that that mm. foot pinch position yes uh that that they've got got now and and so all, all of those guys have been taking that vertical tree climbing piece which is which is an interesting piece because it is something you can really find in a lot of places. It's not, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to have these low lying limbs that allow the kind of more parkour style tree running that I like to do. Yeah. You know, Victor yeah. has been able to teach his tree stuff kind of all over in a way that's a little bit harder for me. Cause I, I want, I want limbs that I can vault over and swing between uh, swing between. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's cool to see that. And it's, it's also challenging. And what I've realized, or, you know, maybe I'm, Maybe I've got a, a little block on my vision in some sense, but it feels like the trees in Europe are just much, much better for uh, the 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 swaying stuff that they're doing than the trees mm. here in the Northwest because um, the maples and alders and other kind of deciduous trees here um, that are close enough in the crowns to do that, uh, the limbs break. Yeah, that's quite brittle, right? Yeah, they're quite brittle. Mm. Um, and even even the cedars, which are really, really solid, sometimes you don't know if they're dead or not in the higher mm. limbs. And I've yeah. I've fallen out a, a few times relying on those limbs. And I look at the the gaps that they're spanning where they're bending these trees together. And I think, man, if one limb goes, you're falling yeah. a long, long way. And so I, I do worry that people are 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 not recognizing how much that kind of movement is actually dependent on a very on a very specific type of tree 
right? A yes. lot of what they're doing is happening in beech trees, beech trees and mm -hmm. oak trees, which are among the strongest trees ever, right? Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, this is very important, isn't it? And uh, and I'll add to that just also. So yes, tree tree um, species specific knowledge and tree specific knowledge as well you know that's just i would have to just know that tree inside out yeah <laughs> you know yeah. tapping on it every way up just to that's just me you know yeah we need to we need to disseminate some of that people are seeing these images of uh of it's good it's good that a lot that most of leo's stuff is vlogs now you know because uh because mm -hmm. that that gives a little bit more of a sense of his his approach but i feel like there needs yeah. to be more dissemination of the the intuitives like how are you sensing whether something is safe or not yeah like yeah how thick a limb on this type of tree in this season even you're willing to mm. to to risk your life on i don't have that intuitive sense for myself because i have fallen out a few times trying some of these things mm -hmm. and uh and so right now it's like the, i don't know what i would trust to do yeah. the kind of you know i know that a beech tree would be a lot more comfortable to try that stuff than mm -hmm. the the trees that i'm in um but even so like i feel like i would have to scale back a lot uh yeah. from where they're at as far as like how thick the limbs are but the other thing is i'm you know i'm 20 kilos heavier than than Leo is, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd be the same. I'd have to, I'd have to go and you know be around them to to yeah. to to really. Because I think you, I think you do have that knowledge, you know, of of what to look for and so on. But just not in that very specific context. It's so specific. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we talk but, about that when you know, you know canopies that are closer to the ground. You know, what season is it? What species is it? You know, how to try our best to articulate things that, you know, might become a bit more, you know, naturally to us in regards to sensing this branch is okay. Is it not? Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just a different ball game <laughs> up, up there. Yeah. Like one of the things that people should, should be aware of is uh, the, the movement of sap in the tree and how that impacts mm. the brand, uh, the, the bark, like uh there's some rhododendrons, which are really amazing to move in. Mm. And I realized that there's a certain time in the spring when the, the bark becomes very, very um, fragile and will, f will, will rip off really easily, yeah. um, which is dangerous for you as an individual. But it's also the, that particular type of tree also, I think, gets diseased really easily once the bark has been, um, yeah. has been split. So I have to be like really careful about the times of year that I'll, that'll train in those trees. Yes. And that's something that, that people need to be aware of. Um, I want to go back though for a second to, you know, your explorations of of tree climbing. So you you had worked with me, you'd kind of gone off uh we weren't working together um online anymore at that point. And you're really diving into to climbing trees. You were dancing in the trees, but you were also doing a lot of climbing and really you know, I think uh your goal at one point was to climb a different species of trees every day for 30 days. I, yep, and I did it. I don't recommend it, <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. Yes, um, yeah. So part of the uh, tree, the tree climb thirty uh, uh, challenge. Uh, we, we kind of we did three, didn't we? So yeah. I think I did one, and then um, we did one together. where you helped um, um, let people know about it, and then I kind of did one mainly by myself. I think uh, that was that was the last one, and. Yeah, so many interesting things came out of that. It put me off tree climbing for a bit, as you can imagine. Um, so I'm, I'm quite stubborn, 
So once I set my mind to it, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, uh, but I learned a lot. It was, it was, it was, it was a fascinating process of, of, you know, exciting at first. Um, I was homeschooling Quincy, my eldest, uh, uh, at the time. Um, it became kind of like a, a, a daily kind of ritual. Um, it definitely expanded my map uh, of, of where to go and where to look for trees in regards to practicality, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really had to look deep in, in regards to different species to climb because, like, you know, is do I even know 30 different species of tree? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was, yeah, it, it, it kind of, <laughs> as dramatic as it sounds, I fell out of love with tree climbing for a bit. I think I need a break. Um, and just like a relationship, you know, it's like, let's have some space. And it kind of, uh, when I was ready to go back, it kind of gave me renewed vigor and interest again. You know, I felt a bit reborn. There was a death, there was a death of a tree climber for sure after that. And then I felt reborn afterwards, uh, just because of it became, yeah, I have to get it done now. I have to get it done. Like you look, I've vlogged everyone and I looked at it not too long ago. And it's quite funny to see the effort I put in to some of them. And then towards the end, the video is getting shorter and shorter. It's like, there you go. There you go. I climbed it. All right. <laughs> what, did, uh, what did you learn? Like what what kind of insights on the practice of tree climbing on on what would you explore in that period of like deep, deep exploration of tree climbing? You know, we, we talked about the edge that that uh, mm. that that these guys have uh, that Leo and Tarzan have found in the in the vertical climbing and in the the tree to tree transfers. Uh, particularly the swaying the trees to transfer them, the orangutan style stuff. Um, what I'm, I'm curious if there were there were things that that you experienced in that tree climbing. You're like, okay, this is this this movement in this type of tree is really interesting for this reason, or um, this is a, a kind of interesting edge of creativity of 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 technique that I'm finding within the trees. Yeah. It was like so long ago now. So I think there are a few instances. I mean, for me, mainly the thing I learned, it was, it was about, it was, it was mainly about scouting, mainly about scouting and, uh, you know, trying to find something or, or, or the many trees we choose to, we kind of ignore and walk past and how, how can you make that into an interesting climbing opportunity? So that was kind of the main theme for me. But in regards to like, you know, I know you get in that, you know, technical um, lime tree, for example, um, one of these trees I wouldn't climb is just, super brittle it's just hard it's just hard it's just really like you know uh, lots of dense twigs all over the place but i decided lime was on the list Mm -hmm. and if i remember correctly it was it was a very interesting was it was practically a vertical climb with minimal trust on the on the branches so i just remember it in some ways i enjoyed it some ways i hated it um I remember feeling that you know some of the, sometimes some of the best climbs, some of the, the, the some of the best problems that you solve is not pretty, it's not elegant. Mm-hmm. It was a real kind of hug up, uh, chin struggle for a bit. Wait, can I trust this? I don't know. Let me edge up. Um, so I guess I learned a lot of patience uh, on that one. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything you know the, the species I'm used to climbing uh, 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 didn't really reveal much like oak and and, and beech and, and sycamore and horse chestnut sweet chestnut. Some trees were sort of ornamental. Uh, you know I didn't really know much about them at all, so I didn't really do too much with because uh, you know yeah. I think one was kind of sort of Japanese dogwood or something like this. Like, I have no idea what this tree is about. I only knew because it was labelled. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there was nothing revolutionary outside of like you know how I how I scout really. You know, it's really having to uh, squeeze the juice out of my creativity. To I, I went between about three different green spaces, so Hampstead Heath and two of my local sort of park woodlands, and that's what I got managed to get thirty trees out of. Um, but going over the same trodden paths and trying to see something different, then identify it. Yeah, and uh, what is that? But you know, that was that was one of the biggest challenges. Do I even know what the tree is to say that it's a different species? And then deciding, can it be climbed? Yeah. So you mentioned that the idea that like sometimes the the most interesting problems in the trees they weren't particularly mm-hmm. good on camera. No. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 you just had to. Just it made me realize how picky one can be, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, and you create your own problems, uh, you know, uh, out of abundance of, uh, you know, of, of opportunities within some of the trees we have right, access to. Because, like, no, this is it. The problem is, can you just get up the very essence of what tree climbing is to most people, right? Can you solve the problem? This is it. Get from point A to B. I've been trying um, to. I've been. I've been wanting to, or I've been sort of challenging myself to go back to this simple thing of like. Can you just climb these trees? Because I like mm. become real like a. I'm spoiled by the trees in Seattle and the, and then the traveling mm. that I've done to find all these really cool trees. I'm like I don't like just climbing another cedar tree that's kind of got, you know, really dense limbs that uh, you know doesn't offer a lot of dynamic movement. It's like it's not yeah. that much to me. Um, but I'm like, I'm struggling to find the trees that are really called me here in Bellingham. Um, mm. and, and so part of it is I just got to go back to like doing it. I just, you know, yeah. I remember yeah. there were trees in Seattle that I, that I would, that I scouted like four or five times over the course of several years before I was able to like really figure out what was fun about them. Mm. Um, I struggled, to struggle to do that here. Cause I think I grieve for, I, I loved living in Bellingham and I, I nothing about me wants to go back to Seattle in any way. I sure. dislike Seattle intensely as a place to live, except for the trees. I miss my yeah. trees in Seattle. You've got, you uh-huh. got some other things. You've got lovely rocks and stuff and, you know, to kind of make up for it and yeah. creeks. <laughs> but there's a, there's an interesting, yeah, the creeks are incredible here. It's amazing. Um, the, the interesting thing that I was thinking about watching uh, Magnus Midbow just recently did a uh, like he went out and did a collab, collab with Leo Urban, and you oh, know, I haven't seen that yet. Okay, so cool. Magnus, of course, is like um, you know world class rock climber. You know, yeah, eleven or twelve or whatever, whatever the super high grades are. I don't even know. Um, oh, he's a beast. He's a yeah, beast. One arm muscle up type guy, and so he's up there, and you know he's really scared to do these tree transfers that that Leo's doing, even though you know. Mm. He's incredibly strong and, you know, he has the the dexterity to get his legs and everything that he needs in all the right places. Um, yeah. But he but he has no relevant kind of experience about what's safe. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it started me thinking about, like, is there ever going to be a point where we can kind of grade tree climbs the way that we grade mm-hmm. rock climbing? Um, mm. Does the is the. Are the elements of the challenge collapsible enough in some sense? Because they're so different. Because it's like, how how slippery is the tree? How likely is the tree to fracture? Right? Um, yeah. Like, how afraid are you that you're just going to break and die? Um, and then, you know, how how likely is the bark to to rip off? Um, 
Mm. Yeah, you have the impermanence of it, right? You know, it's, it's going to change. You know, rock holds a break and stuff, but yeah. it's going to be around un, unchanged for a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Then the, 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 the trees change more, right? There's lots of challenges that I was doing 10 years ago that the branches have actually just gotten too big for. There's a variety mm. of swings that I used to do around Seattle where the branches have outgrown my hands just in 10 years. Yeah. And then other places where the trees have fallen down and changed shape and um, limbs have fallen off. Uh, or the cities come and chop them off, which always makes me super sad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you also about, you know, you saw involvement of play in 2016, right? And 2017... I think you came out with me in 2017 when I was teaching as well around Europe. You came in. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, uh, where did we go? I believe in 2018, you went out and taught EMP um, workshops Amsterdam. for us in Europe. Yeah. But that then, was in Amsterdam. Yeah. Then kind of, I shifted my attention to online. You, I think, you know, had to go homeschool your kids. COVID happened. Yep. So then last summer you got to to come back and, and experience EMP with us again. And, you know, I, I've been watching you from afar and saying, oh, I want Ben to come back and kind of rejoin us because what we did evolved quite a lot in that time, right? The, 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 yeah. um, the approach, the, the integration of all of the sort of Jordan Peterson stuff that I was doing and, and then the John Bervakey stuff, the, the different layers of knowing and the philosophical side of what we did, that it all you know, evolved by leaps and bounds from 2017 to, uh, you know, uh, 2023. So you came back and, and got to, to experience, um, return to the source this summer. You got to, uh, teach some of, uh, as well. And, um, tell me about what it was like to like, what, what was the re-encounter with the EMP? Like, as far as seeing what's shifted, what was novel and exciting for you? How did that impact your practice when you went back to, to, um, uh, to London? Well, it's quite, so when did I, I came to return to the source was 2018. You, I think you 2016. said, right? It's 2016 first return. Wow. So that's quite, yeah, quite, quite a lot. Well, it was amazing. It was amazing to see. Because it wasn't just like I hadn't seen you in between, and I've been, you know, obviously aware of how things were evolving and, and how um, things were changing. But to see it in 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 you know in action with the group of people, the talented group of people, and how you all mesh together for me, it was I was kind of I, was, I don't know I was proud, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know that doesn't sound too patronizing because sitting, believing in something, believing in someone and, and what you're doing and how much has affected me and wanted to share with others, mm -hmm. and then to see it kind of reach its potential is it, so awesome. Um, it was you managed to find the perfect balance of people in the team, you know, yeah, people that have been around you for a while, but the fact that you know now they have more of a role, um, which has allowed you to you know do do what you do best. Um, and it was an experience that, cause I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm helping, I'm assisting, I'm facilitating, but also got to experience myself. Mm -hmm. Um, it was really powerful what I brought back. Um, I guess from the kind of coaching side of things, it, it gave me template and a belief 
to to really start to push into this sort of idea of transferability, you know, from like physical practice to the lot of dialoguing, for example, you, that was like one of the big like a uh, shift for me. Because one thing on paper to say how one's uh, how one communicates and interacts and has a dialogue through your physical practice, how it might mirror life or how it might transfer to life, uh, and and a difficulty of like how do you bridge that? But to see some of the uh, uh, intentional uh, time and space made for circling and 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 for um, fun games, that's some of the things I took home directly um, to to apply. But just overall, it's just a smooth operation. Such a smooth operation now, you know. Is <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you know, I was impressed. Like we, you know, everyone was on point. Everyone knew what they're doing. Um, it, you know, from down to the amazing food and, and facilities and logistics, down to the menu of things that you know we put for the participants to to yeah. Sounds sorry, if that's a bit vague, but uh, well, you, you... yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like a completely different. So the consistencies with this, I remember obviously your coaching and, and, and um, what I'm used to in regards to the, uh, the movement practice and the places we went to. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow I was so much, I found it's much easier to make the connections to, to meaning and, and, and sort of looking at myself, my true self through that lens of what that space you create for everyone. Yeah. That, rather than compartmentalizing this is great for my physical practice i went home with you know using paraphrasing for example with the children mm-hmm. yeah you know, it, it just it, it's it's easy to compartmentalize one's physical practice i guess or even the retreat you know amazing things happen there i was reset and then you go back to life um whatever that cocktail is that beautiful cocktail is that you've got now of, of the people the place the the, the pedagogy um definitely permeates into it permeated into my life and imagine other people's life mm. um yeah i want to just mention uh kyle and aaron uh while yeah. we're we're talking about this because i think that was where you're highlighting was how um kyle yeah. cock who was kyle with us in 2016 i can't remember if that was the one year that he wasn't with us was he there he must have been maybe he wasn't was it because we had we had willingness uh awareness one year taught by jamie mock I was kind of that. I don't know if yeah, I remember no. wandering through the woods with a tall, blonde, ridiculously handsome man who was helping us. You know, we we found like a we found a bird kill. I don't know if that was the year that you were there. I think that might have been. No, that doesn't ring a bell. No. Okay. So, um, Kyle was there. Okay, so it was Kyle. Yeah, so Kyle's been much more integrated as a coach, and he's brought uh, a lot of the pedagogy from the Eight Shields method and the mm. the ritual aspects. It's have come a lot through Kyle and then, you know, in collaboration with Aaron Cantor and Aaron, um, Aaron's been, uh, you know, I mentioned him earlier and his, his influence on the rough and tumble stuff that we did. And he's also been really going deep in the authentic relating, uh, circling space. And we've had a lot of students who came through that because of, um, of my, my, my friendship with, with John Verveke. It's funny, Mm -hmm. like, the paraphrasing, just paraphrasing is such an incredible practice. And for people mm-hmm. who, who, who aren't familiar, it's really simple. You know, you sit down and um, you, as a facilitator, you want to kind of give people maybe something to talk about, but you have some people say something and, um, and then you have the other person just tell them what they said, right? Uh, try to repeat it without repeating it word for word. Use your own words to try to summarize the meaning of it. Um, 
And it's, you know, we often are waiting our turn to speak without really listening to somebody. And so practicing paraphrasing, it helps, you know, it helps us empathize and understand someone else. Um, and it helps us learn to, to be active listeners. So it's incredible practice. And yeah, I do that with my kids as well. And with Beth, um, it's such a powerful thing for helping uh, intimate relationships. Mm. Another one that I've been using a lot with Beth is like, I notice and I imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being with you right now, I notice. Um, I, I imagine this is what's happening within you. Um, and, uh, you know, hearing that this is what's happening, this is what happens for me. And those, those are just, yeah, they're powerful uh, relational technologies. And I think there is something about getting those in the context of these physical practices that grounds them, that really mm. creates this, this, um, attunement right that's that's uh that's aaron's word that i like so much uh is is that through the integration of the physical practice with the dialogical practice with the storytelling with the ritual we're able mm -hmm. to achieve attunement between individuals on many different layers that allows that dialogical component to work so much more powerfully uh, that's the yes. the way that i experience it yes yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I think Carl, Aaron, Miranda, you, you all complement each other so well. It's like you know, yeah. the Avengers of uh, <laughs> uh, it. Just yeah, just really, I, I tell people about you know, for example, the opening ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's just powerful within itself, and I can only imagine what it was like for the participants and, and to be a part of that. But just as a great example of how you know how that set the tone for the trust and 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 uh, yeah, attunement, you know. I don't want to give anything away, I guess, because, you yeah. know, um, but it's, it was powerful. Just, just, you guys spent, you've worked so hard, um, you know, cause I was in on a couple of the calls of how you would, you know, see how you did previously and then what you'd change, what you'd keep. And yeah, like I said, it's just, it's just proud to be associated with is that what, what a well executed, awesome team. You will balance each other. You know, even if you agree, disagree on certain things, I think you, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome, man. It's so good to see it grow into what it is now. Well, thank you for the testimonial in the middle of this uh, this interview. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it, it is it is fun to to kind of have it reflected back, um, you know, and, and and know how it's perceived and how it lands. And you know, for someone who's been around, uh, you know, this world for so long, you know, the different you've seen many things in in movement. So, um, so it's useful to hear that. I guess there's a a couple, couple more topics. I don't know how much more time you have. Can you go for the next fifteen minutes? Yeah, that's good. Yep. Um, hmm. How old are you now, Ben? I am forty-three. Old enough where I have to kind of think for a second. Yeah, I'm forty-one. <laughs> I'm forty-two in February, and I definitely noticed that that my practice is is shifting in relationship to age now it's yeah um, i was thinking about this um i if if i kind of continue on my current training trajectory for this winter i'll probably achieve the highest level of overall fitness that i've ever achieved as an athlete mm. so i'll jump you know farther or i'll be not i won't have my farthest jumps that i've ever had but i'll have a pretty close i'll be pretty close to as fast as i've run 
you know, my upper body strength will probably be the best that it's ever been. Um, and it says, Oh, that's pretty cool to achieve that at, at 42, um, which I'll mm. be at the time, but it's not as easy as it was when I was 30. Yeah. Like I remember at 30, like you do some stuff and it kind of like, it'd feel like magic. You're just like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm good at that now. I don't know why I'm like, mm. boom. It's just like suddenly you're, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I wouldn't pay attention to my vertical leaping ability for a while. And I'd be doing some other stuff. And all of a sudden I could just jump really high and mm. uh, it doesn't feel like that anymore. It feels like for one thing, I've kind of like explored a lot of that ground, right? I've, I've gotten yeah. all the low hanging fruit. But I have to be very, very intentional about how I practice. Another thing that's become really, really noticeable to me is how careful I have to be about not um, overdoing it, right? Mm. It's like it's the food, it's the sleep, it's the recovery, it's the stress management. And then it's like being really, really careful about the incremental progression. And so I'm, you know, I'm natural movement guy, but I have spreadsheets to track my training and I'm very, very precise about uh, the changes that I'm trying to make with myself. So I'm curious to hear, you know, how your your practice is now sort of shifting as you reach, you know, your 40s and um, and how your goals, like what 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 your motivations are that are different. Like I, like there's part of me that feels like ah, uh, I I want to jump into the the doing this stuff in the heights and the trees with Leo and and Victor because you know. I've been doing this stuff for a long time and I want people to be aware of how much I've contributed to the world of, of, of tree movement. And there's mm. part of me that's like, yeah, but that stage is past, man. You're not 30 anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah you pass it yeah. on. Right. My son is nine. He's going to surpass me as an athlete in three to four years. Yep. As it should be. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. met him this summer. You yeah. saw. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I guess my relationship to myself is a primary thing yeah, that I'm noticing and doing my best to be kind to myself as, as the sort of, th you know, we have to start sort of at least transforming or maybe even letting go of some of the, the images of what, you know, uh, of what we've done. Um, yeah, it, it is difficult. There is, I, I definitely not as strong and as explosive as I was, but you know, there's some areas where I'm more well coordinated and uh, um, I've got the experience or whatever. Um, it's, but yeah, letting go and how that dict, I've definitely become more aware of, of when am I listening to my previous volume in regards to how much training I should be doing versus what's right for me right now. You know, have to sort of check my ego a little bit, um, and what that's kind of on the practical level. It means I do I actually do less kind of more formal sort of strength work, for example, right now. Um, you know, a lot of uh, I'm I'm very aware. I don't keep a spreadsheet, but I'm very aware of how much sort of uh, intensity I have with regards to sort of more yang kind of out there work. So you know, I'm do, I'm doing judo. I've uh, just started judo last year. Uh, that's kind of like takes up all of that kind of um, or everything's geared around to 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 build my resiliency to to make sure I don't pick up too many injuries. Um, but also to conserve my energy as well, because it takes quite a lot out, you know, like two hour sessions late at night it means I get to bed late, it affects the next day and so on. Um, so I'm, I look for the balance of 
not surrendering either. I'm not capitulating. I still believe there's improvements to be made, uh, uh, physiological improvements to be made. I do feel I could, um, you know, I could become a better athlete. You know, I'm looking at really winding down mid fifties, you know, I'm projecting and saying that, you know, I'm not just saying, Oh, it's the beginning of the end now, but being a realist as well and realizing I have to kind of, um, you know, those spider diagrams for stats, Mm -hmm. uh, that you might get in a, in a video game, you know, yeah. it's just, you just haven't got as many points to spread around anymore. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, so you just got to be much shrewder and wiser with where you spread that around. Um, so I, um, we briefly mentioned like fighting monkey practice, you know, the, the, uh, one of the main influences, uh, of Joseph and Linda for me is kind of their conceptual underlying model. And quite simply put, how's our practice making us a better communicator? Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm choosing what, where to put my focus in to a physical practice, there is that kind of the resources of time and energy and how will I recover from this? But I'm also trying my best to think, is this stacking on skills and abilities to help me uh, communicate better with the kids or to, to, to get better aligned with my true self, you know, who I am versus who I you know, want to be or, or, or hope one can be, you know? And my practice has always been that mirror for me. So I'm going away from things where perhaps I think I, sh what I think I should be doing as a movement coach. I should be able to do this and do that. And really becoming, yeah, a bit selfish with what I choose to put my energy into, you know. So yeah. judo for me right now is the intensity, but it's also humbling me. You know, I really love sucking at things. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's really, you know, I, I, it's really made me realize I'm quite a slow learner. Mm. Um, and enjoying that and embracing that because that gives me a lot of empathy. Um, you know, I don't just get things straight away. Um, yeah. It's definitely got me thinking. <laughs> um, also with other life things as well, you know, people, people around me are getting older um you know family members who, who who might have died recently and so on it's definitely making me think about my mortality more for sure yeah. um you know what i'm going to be doing in 20 years time for my physical practice but what am i going to be doing um so the, i don't know about you but i can't separate you know my sort of physical practice who i am from my career if you can call mm -hmm. it that um yes i'm in a very i don't want to say a crossroads right now but it's definitely i've noticed starting to as i'm hitting sort of mid approaching the mid forties it is definitely got me thinking about movement coach Ben I hate to talk about myself in third person um, at 50, you know, yeah. what does that look like? What does a 50 year old 50 something movement coach look like? Yeah. How do I remain, I how do I remain authentic, you know, uh, and uh, to myself and yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you know, within the, the parkour community, you know, I guess, uh, I was going to ask you about your experience with Seb. We'll have to pick that up another time and his influence, uh, Sebastian Foucault. But, you know, he's 49 now, I think. Yeah, he will never admit you uh, to let you know that, but somewhere close. Yeah, I know how old he is. 25 or 49. Um, yeah, exactly. Peter Pan. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're we're just starting to see what that looks like, you know. Looks pretty good with Seb. Uh, if I'm, if I'm oh, where yeah. Seb is and... And uh, in eight years, as far as my physical vitality, I'll be real happy um, and, and continue to progress. So it's possible. Yeah. Um, I think I think uh, I'd love to talk to you at some point about uh, 
movement parenting, but I think we we're running low on time. Mm. So I think the last question I want to ask you is who, like, what do you see on the horizon in the movement world? That's exciting to you, young coaches, trends, like things that you're like, ah, oh, that, 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 that gets me excited to be part of what's happening. I'm curious where that, if there's anything uh, for you in that arena. Hmm. It's a good question because I'm, as you mentioned earlier on, I'm kind of taking a step back from the external influence, I guess, of where you might see these things coming about, right, on, on social media. Um, it's not very new right now, but for example, uh, I love it when something like rope flow, um, you know, to uh, it becomes semi-popular and it's inspiring to me because it's it should be right it's just object manipulation is is, is yeah. a you know very relatively cheap tool and it's not anything brand new revolutionary but i just love the uh, uh the i guess how widely it's appealed to many people um and how I feel that, you know, the people that are sort of moving with it, the main movers and shakers, the integrity that's being put out there, it doesn't seem like a gimmick. Mm -hmm. it's, it's given me a bit of faith, I guess, if I, you know, I know, I know this is the last question, but I guess I've stepped back a little bit because um, I'm quite, uh, as you get older, you get a bit cynical and a bit like, you know, grumpy. And, you know, I don't want to- I was super grumpy about like, rope flow when it came out. Second? Was, when rope flow started, I was, yeah. I don't know, I was just like, man, another tool, another toy that everyone's going to be, you know, Me another, too. like it's, I've seen so many things that are the, you know, the latest, greatest thing, um, in the movement community come and go. Yeah. It was totally my experience of the ropes. Like, ah. Yeah. Um, but it, me too. I was the late adopter. Me too. I, I kind of initially going, oh, and I rolled my eyes and just because I like to be, I like to learn and be grumpy now and then, but eventually I, you know, I, I tried it and I saw the depth within and I realized that, ah, oh, okay, yes, it could go down if it gets popular enough, sort of diluted, whatever it's going to be. But under, underneath it is principles that we both, you know, resonate with, you know, yeah, manipulating objects stuff, is a part of human history. And yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and just basically the, like, like, uh, Aaron has a really nice way of saying it. he loves to play with alliterations. You know, the three basic toys that every culture plays with is the rod, exactly. the rope, and the rock. Uh, and the rock, right? Stick. Yes. Stick, rope, and stone, right? Or ball. Yeah. A ball exactly. is, a, is a stone that is safer to play with. Um, yeah. So you know, those are those are the basics. So yeah, it's a great tool. And you know, going back even to you know, we talked earlier about uh, Frank Frenzich, who I think. Probably most mm -hmm. of the audience won't even recognize, but was mm -hmm. you know a seminal figure for those of us who were early adopters of movement at the end of the aughts, the early early teens. Um, you know, he played with raw with with ropes as well. That was a big part yeah. of uh, of some exactly. of the stuff that we that we were doing with him was sticks and ropes and balls and interactive games, right? Yeah, and locomotion yeah. too. Um, his, his approach to locomotion was very kind of influenced by functional fitness and something that you can do in a gym and in a group class. But you can see the fundamental principles of like, this is the stuff, right? That you gotta, yeah. gotta move with other people, move your body around in space and move things that you can manipulate. Exactly. Uh, and that was all there within uh, Frank's conceptualization, you know, 
back in the probably mid aughts, right? I don't know when yeah. he came up with all that stuff, but I imagine been around for a while by then. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I people are always asking me where they can find Evolve Move Play in Europe, and I'm always saying go see Ben, right? Um, you yeah. have weekly group classes in Hampstead Heath, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and people can find that through benmetacoaching.com. Uh, just benmetter.com. Yeah. Benmetter.com. Benmetter.com. Um, and uh, we've got a couple of workshops scheduled in Europe uh, for this uh, upcoming year. If people want to do that with you, um, they can go find that on the website. Um, and then uh, if people want to have you out in any other area of Europe, um they can ping us and we'll ping you and we'll we'll figure yes. that out and uh do you have any move with the seasons coming up to be continued yes but not um still figuring out but hopefully in spring um we'll have something where a bit of wilderness awareness integrated yeah. in as well so cool. nothing on the website yet so keep keep your eyes peeled for move with the seasons benmetter.com um and i guess the last thing is rope flow london that's your other big project that people can, can yeah. kind of attune tune into what you're doing. Yeah, rope. Yeah, the the rope. Um, you know, invested in like facilitating this for others. I think is a very simple way to kind of amplify what you're doing. It's fun, but it has depth to it as well. Awesome. Okay. Well. Um. Yeah. Thanks for finally joining me, Ben. It was great to share a conversation with you. A trip down memory lane. I think it's good for people to to hear about where all this stuff came from. It's always so easy to get trapped in what's happening right now um, mm. and forget, you know, what happened before. But a lot of times what happened before is why what's happening now is happening. <laughs> Indeed, and, yes. uh, and some of the things, the mistakes that we made in the past um, are really good to know because they're going to continue to be made in the present. That's true. Uh, yes. So, so that was really fun. And um, I look forward to our next conversation. Hopefully we'll see each other again this year. Yes. Sure. Sorry it took so long, but yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome.